Oh, snap! The world is finally waking up to the crap that's baked into and sprayed on kibble dog food. No longer can commercial pet food manufacturers fool us with pretty pictures and false promises. Well, hello, Ralph Beaters. I'm This is the Raw Dog Food Truth. The view and opinions expressed on this podcast are not intended to replace medical advice. Before starting any raw diet, do research, ask lots of questions, and consult your vet. Jacek Day. Good morning, Dr. Jacek. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep myself from pulling my hair out over all these things that um, keep running into in the veterinary profession and how uh, these narratives come to be like pets can't get, can't get medical care without getting a current rabies shot. And some of these things that we talk about, and I just keep hearing this stuff over and over and over again. And, um, and it's frustrating. I know you're hearing it too. Yeah, I definitely hear it. And, um, you know, you and I talk about this stuff all the time and we're like, what? I don't even know what we believe anymore because the more we dig, the more we find out, the more we know that there's a big narrative going on. I think we've seen that over the last two years. Uh, but I I think the problem is, is that the people that are putting out the narratives understand that we as people don't do research. I saw this meme and it said, have you noticed that people won't take the time to look up important information, but they'll spend 15 minutes taking a quiz to find out what kind of a potato they are? <laughs> Which is so true, right? So true. Totally, totally true. Well, I I mean, I've heard it said, and I'll have to say, I've, I've done this too. Like you get a you get a medical journal and you flip through and you read the headlines. You don't have time to read the whole, like read a whole research article. Or you just go to the summary and see, okay, what did they conclude? Is there anything interesting? You know, um, but they're counting on that. And, I, and I'm more and more convinced that, the 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 articles, the information that's coming out to medical professionals, they're counting on doctors not digging into it. They're it's like marketing. It's marketing to physicians, and marketing is about selling, and that's that's what the game is. And anymore, when I hear about a, a new product or some new narrative coming out that doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, we've talked about the one where, oh, dogs need grains to have a healthy heart. And now, you know, veterinary clinics aren't letting pets in without, you know, current vaccinations. Well, okay, that narrative wasn't around pre-COVID. Like what changed? There's no new laws out there prohibiting veterinarians from seeing pets that aren't vaccinated. It's just the narrative that's changed. And then I always ask, okay, who's making money off of that narrative? Because I truly believe when things don't make sense, you just, you follow the money. And that's, that's what it, what it comes down to is who's, who's making money selling vaccines. I mean, that's, that's the only thing that makes any amount of sense because medically to require a, a rabies shot for a pet to work, to walk into a clinic when they're sick or injured, doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't. And we're going to talk about what are the actual guidelines because nobody knows what those are. Certainly not our listeners. And I think they want to know that. But before we do that, um, the science of the human food and drug industries, which is a chapter in Dr. Brady's book, okay, which is feeding dogs dry or raw, the science behind the debate. 
we're talking about in here exactly what you just said about the information that comes out. And he says, from how data is collected to how you process the information, there are many ways to get the answers you need. Okay. So what they do in the industry, they have uh, participant recruitment, sample sizes, messaging, the data, and handler biases are all commonly employed. And it is not required, listen to this, it is not required that researchers publish the trials that showed the drug was ineffective <laughs> or where the side effects were seen. This is the scientific equivalent of flipping a coin 100 times and publishing only the 10 flip section where the head comes up eight times in a row. And he said, of 49 of the most widely cited studies from the world's three most prestigious medical journals from 1990 to 20, uh, uh, I think he said 2023, more than 40%, more than 40% of these studies were found to be significantly, significantly exaggerated or flat out wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and he says, you know, th these are the, on the human side, and on the pet side, because he says doctors are bamboozled by the deluge of bad science. Studies show that there are no longer, these doctors are no longer staying abreast of the scientific literature. Faith is placed in the regulators. But as we see with the prescription drug epidemics, the regulators are more than struggling. Sometimes they are a part of the problem as seen with the big sugar and the obesity epidemics. So there's that those were just the take home points. If you were to read that entire chapter, Dr. Jasek, you'd be like, I don't trust anything that's being said out there because he actually documents how they are being bamboozled, how the information is being slanted, um, where he says that they're not posting the adverse effects. They're not posting the issues where dogs have died or people have died. Only the good stuff is being published. Right. And they change the data to fit what they want. I mean, I've been leery of quote unquote research studies for a long time. And that's, you know, everybody, you know, you hear the buzzword evidence-based medicine. Every time I hear that, I just want to throw up because evidence like what, what evidence are you relying on? And it's usually research studies. And there's, I think there's very, very little true research going on anymore because they, they start with, so, the, so most research studies, the, the very first thing I would ask if you're looking at a research study is who funded it? Because chances are somebody's making money off of the results or they're hoping to make money. And I think the way a lot of research is done anymore is a company says, okay, we want to, we got this product we want to push out, whether it's a food or a drug or a vaccine. And we need a, we want a study. And these are the results we want from that study. And the studies are actually designed to get the results they want. It's not just a pure research where whatever results they get, they get. And if it's appears to be not safe, then they don't do it. It, it doesn't happen that way. They decide what the results they want and they pay a 
bunch of money to like a university. This is how a lot of this gets done. The, these big companies fund the universities. They hire the universities to do their research. And it is made known that they want a certain outcome. And oh, by the way, along with that outcome is going to come a sizable donation to whatever institution is doing the research. And they will literally throw out data. You know, uh, you know, you get like, there'll be certain certain results you want that support your outcome. And then the ones that just kind of don't fit with that, well, let's just, we'll just throw them out of the study, you know? Um, and, and they just don't count them in the data. And this sort of stuff is done all the time, all the time. So I don't think you can even trust the, the research that's coming out, you know, unless it meant, and to do really good research, it is expensive to do a true you know, double blind placebo type study and just honestly looking at the results, it's there, it's a lot of work to set those up and they're very expensive. So a, a smaller company like Sadie, you wanted to do a research study on, on feeding, feeding raw food and comparing it to dogs eat kibble versus dogs eating raw, setting that up correctly it's it's a lot of work and it's a lot of money and the the ones that can afford to do that typically are these big corporations but then they want to make the they want to make the money so they're not doing true research so it's such a it's such a racket it's so discouraging cuz you really you know I'm I'm to the point and I'm you know thankfully I've had a lot of years experience. So I've been watching things and I see what happens and I see what happens in pets. And that's something that's gone by the wayside. I think where clinicians have been conditioned to not trust what they see in their own, in, in their own clinics and in their own patients, they're just supposed to believe the narrative. And I think that's, what's being lost. And I think that's what we need to get back to because I just don't think you can trust the information anymore. We have to trust ourselves and our own eyes and ears and, and what we're seeing in our practices, because that's, in my mind, that's the only source of valid information right now. Yeah. And I think, um, I don't know if you've heard of John Fudens, uh, Fudens, maybe it's his last name, Dr. John Fudens, but he reminds me of you. Okay. Meaning that he now he's a lot older. He graduated as a veterinarian in 1964 uh, from New York State Veterinary College. Um, and for the first eight years, he was a conventional veterinarian practicing surgery, drugs and vaccines. But in 1972, he put a dog to sleep as he had no ability to help him further. And he realized then that he was not curing or helping the animals he had expected. So what did he do? Well, in 1972, he decided to study acupuncture. And in 1982, he began what amounts to thousands of hours of homeopathic training. And in 1989, he sold his animal practice and he ceased to practice, provide, or believe in conventional veterinary medicine and surgery. And so what did he do? He shortly thereafter opened the Affinity Clinic and became the first doctor to provide totally holistic therapies for animals in Florida and one of the first in the United States. And now he's expanded that clinic to uh, human care. Nice. But, yeah. He, he wrote this article 
um, because you and I were talking about rabies. Okay. And one of the questions, you know, like you were saying, where did this mandate that you cannot take your dog in to get a spade, neuter, dental, you can't take your dog in to get their legs sewn up unless they have a current rabies vaccine. So you sent me the guideline, the board guideline regarding vaccines. And when I, and I'll read this to our listeners, but my takeaway here is that uh, something is uh, not lining up with these vaccine mandates and what the board guideline states. And here's what it states here in Colorado. And I would encourage our pet parents to get in a hold of the veterinary policies and guidelines in your state and look at the vaccine uh, policy and guidelines. This one says, the Colorado State Board of Veterinary Medicine believes that appropriate vaccinations are one important aspect of preventative health care for pet animals. However, vaccinations can involve some risk to the animal. Therefore, the selection administration of vaccines should be specifically tailored to each animal seen and should be undertaken with the care by the veterinarian. The animal's lifestyle should also be taken into account, his geographic location within the state, and its particular health problems and corresponding risk should be evaluated. The veterinarian must also ensure that the vaccinations given comply with the state and local laws. The board encourages practitioners to communicate with the pet owners regarding what selections of these vaccinations have been made and why, and the risk inherent in these choices and the potential outcomes of these selections. The use of an informed consent form, which we very seldom see, may document these conversations and serve as a reminder to both parties of what occurred. That's it, Dr. Jasek. That's all it says. I know. So these one-size-fits-all recommendations, meaning that so you, you know, go into the ER and, you know, your pet's sick and you want to get them in and they're just like, well, we don't see pets without a current rabies shot. They're not having those conversations with those people. They're not reviewing lifestyle actual risk. Is this vaccine beneficial for the pet? Has the veterinarian even read the package insert so it understands the risks? I can guarantee you those conversations are not happening because it's impossible. If you have a one-size-fits-all policy, like these clinics do, they are violating the the Practice Act in, in Colorado. This is supposed to be the code that veterinarians practice by and by having these one size fits all mandates, they're they're violating their actual practice code, which they probably never even read. Yeah, it, it it's unbelievable. Um this article that was written by Dr. John Fudens, okay, and it was he just wrote this in 2021. Um it, it it's entitled The Big Scam rabies vaccination. If you would like to read it, it's over Dogs Naturally, the big scam rabies vaccination. But what he says here, uh, it's a, it's a good article, but he says, um, 
you know, from 1964 to 1989, there were no cases of rabies in cats in uh, Pinellas County, uh, which is where he's talking about this. He said, magically in 1989, a law was passed mandating rabies vaccinations, tags, and licenses for all cats. And he said, um, since the 1989 law, there was one cat with rabies that was contracted from the bite of a bat. And he said, do you readers really understand what I have just stated? This is a standard throughout the country. No allowance is made for dogs or cats who never leave the house or the yard, could never be exposed to rabies under any circumstances, who are ill, who are old, or at the end of their life cycles, that if they did take a rabies vaccine, would totally throw them over the edge. He said, no, all dogs and cats are treated the same because Mm -hmm. we have the boogeyman rabies stalking (laughs) the streets, waiting to strike unprotected dogs and cats. Right, right. And that's what, you know, I think, and and again, I bet most veterinarians don't even know, like, how the rabies virus is, well, if the virus itself actually even exists, you know, I can, I question that these days, too. But even if you, if you go by the conventional teaching about rabies, rabies is a neurologic virus, it gets on the nerves travels up the nerves to the spinal cord, up to the brain. And that's where we see the effects, like these behavioral changes, dogs become aggressive. There's actually two forms of rabies. There's the aggressive form, which is more common and the, what they call the dumb form where the dogs just get very lethargic and, you know, um, you know, don't, don't interact, don't, you know, just really lose their personality, which is interesting because that's a common side effect we're seeing now from the rabies um, vaccine. But one, once it gets up there and affects the brain, then the way it is transmitted is it travels down the cranial nerves from the brain to the salivary glands and is spread in the saliva. That's the conventional teaching. So let's just say that's true. The A dog to get rabies or for a person to get rabies, they have to be bitten by an animal with rabies that is currently symptomatic because if it's already, if it's in the saliva, it has to already be in the brain. So I think it's highly unlikely that an an animal that's spreading the rabies virus in the, in the saliva, isn't going to be showing some neurologic symptoms, some symptoms from the brain. So that's how it's spread. You know, I've, I've known cases where people have, you know, said, Oh, my cat found a, you know, found a dead bat. Well, Unless that bat, in, in like in the case you were saying, unless that bat actually bit the cat, there's no risk of rabies. It's not casual exposure. It's not <laughs> the boogeyman virus, like he said, just out there waiting to to attack the animals. And I question now that, you know, that there is even a, a rabies virus. But, you know, but, but aside from that, just just based on the conventional teaching on the transmission, it, it, it's not just casually going to happen, especially in a more urban area, like where, where we live, I think it's, it's highly unlikely. And, you know, there are tighter tests, you know, you, you can measure 
antibody titers. So why on earth is that not being accepted? I mean, if, if you're going to subscribe to the idea that this is a virus and that we are vaccinating to build antibodies to fight the virus, then why on earth would like a clinic not accept a titer test where you can measure the, the antibodies and show that the pet has protection? That's exactly the purpose of giving the vaccine. So if you're going to say, well, you know, we're so afraid of this boogeyman virus out there. Just love that. Just love that line. Um, then, then, you know, and that we have to have these, these vaccines. Well, the whole purpose of the vaccines is to build antibodies so that the animal cannot get the virus supposedly. So if we can demonstrate good antibody levels, why isn't that good enough? Then, then a pet would just could get one rabies vaccine and it's life. And most of the time they'll have a good antibody level. So why aren't they accepting titers? Like it doesn't even, it doesn't even make sense if their narrative is that these vaccines are, are protective, then why, why isn't antibody titer good enough? Right. It's like, it's like this, these narratives just catch on and people just say them. And it's like, you just say the same thing over and over often enough. And it just becomes the truth, whether it makes any sense or not. Well, nonsensical is in fashion. Okay. I'm just going to, you know, that's so, so clearly, (laughs) right. He goes on to say in this article, he says the vaccines, particularly uh, rabies are a political and economic scam being Mm -hmm. forced upon pet owners because they do not know the truth. He said rabies nationwide is nowhere near the problem that the veterinarians, the media, the politicians, and the bureaucrats would like for you to believe. He said, so here's what you can do if you really want to discover the truth. Go to your local city or county government building and look up the codes and the statues concerning vaccines and rabies. Get the figures from the local animal control for rabies in dogs cats and wildlife in your area. He said, that's the only way that you can take control of your life and protect your pet from the only dreaded disease that is important that special interest groups are pushing. Okay. Because their program leads to vaccine induced damage immune systems, period. And he said um, that current veterinary therapy by Kirk it's the textbook Bible for veterinarians in general, has an article on canine and feline vaccines by two researchers. And he says, near the end of the article is a paragraph called Annual Vaccinations. And it states this, the practice of annual vaccinations lacks scientific validity or verification. There is no immunological requirement for annual vaccinations. The practice of annual vaccination should be considered a questionable efficacy unless it is used as a mechanism to provide an annual physical examination or is required by law. So he says, sure, if we can't manipulate you with annual vaccinations, let's pass a law to get you into the office. Nice trick. Yeah, that's actually, you know, that's that's a that's a business model in in veterinary medicine. I mean, practice consultants 
will actually say that, that if you require, you know, something like that, like vaccines, you know, that's why people get those little cards in the mail every six or 12 months or whatever program their, their clinic is promoting. It's to get you in the clinic. It's, it's, that's, you know, you can't say, oh, your pet needs a checkup. Well, my pet's healthy. Why do I got to take it in for a checkup? Oh, your pet's going to die if it doesn't get these vaccines. What's a better motivator than fear and fear about, you know, your pet needs to stay healthy. And most people just don't question. They, I mean, some of my clients do, they'll say, I got this card in the mail that my pet needs lepto and bordetella. I'm like, don't take them in for goodness sakes. Those are like, well, bordetella is pretty worthless and the vaccine and the uh, lepto has a super high reaction rate, um, but it is a way to get you into the clinic. So again, follow the money. Yeah. I mean, it, and it says, what, what do you have to do? What did we see in the last two years, Dr. Jacek? You have to promote fear, yep. right? You have to strike fear that this is a dreaded, disease that the mortality rate is 100%. You've got to have strong ammunition for those who want to force dog owners to vaccinate their dogs at their own expense. And it's easy to argue um, that, you know, rabies is dangerous because nobody knows the truth. Nobody knows the truth. And they will come back and say, well, we don't have rabies because we've all been, we've all had our dogs vaccinated. Right. No, but we have an extremely itchy dog and cat population. We have the rise of cancer, right? What do you think the cancer rate is in pets? Oh, goodness. I see so much. I mean, the last statistics I saw, it's like, I think about two thirds of dogs are projected to get cancer and it keeps, you know, it, it just, it just keeps going up and up and up, which should tell you something right there. If these are like, if we're, if we're doing the best we can for our pets and all these vaccines and the diets that the vets recommend, like the prescription diets of all this stuff is also great. Why are our pets keep getting sicker? Why do we see more chronic illness, like itchy skin, chronic GI stuff and autoimmune disease and cancer? Why is all this stuff going up if this program, if, if we're doing the best for, for our pets, it, it doesn't make sense. And I'll tell you, I mean, I've seen the, the turnaround, especially when, you know, I can consult with somebody that's getting a new puppy started and we do minimal or no vaccinations and they're started on a raw diet and we get them off to a great start. Uh, those dogs aren't showing up sick. I mean, I've seen the difference again, I'm looking at my own clinical evidence and, and the difference between, okay, what's the typical scenario of, of, you know, the cancer patients that I see and, um, what, what, what is different when, you know, we, we treat the pets differently and don't do all those vaccines and feed a fresh food diet. And the difference is night and day. So, I mean, that's, it's all the evidence I need, you know, I'm, I'm seeing it in my, in my own practice and any veterinarian that says that that's not valid. Well, have they tried it? You know, most likely not, but you know, 
there's there's not going to be a research study out there saying, oh, this is a better a better way to practice. But they, you know, I mean, I challenge any vet that says, you know, raw food makes pets sick. Well, why don't you just try it on a couple of your patients for a month and see what you notice? You know, it's it's a no brainer once you start doing that and you see the transformation. You know, it's it's huge. So why has raw feeding come on so strong? If we're killing pets and dogs are dying and we're seeing negative results, why is it coming on so strong? Now, you and I and and our entire team, we've been doing it for over 20 years. So it's nothing new to us. But how many calls do we get about my dog's itching? My dog's got a sensitive stomach. Come on, guys. Dogs aren't born with sensitive stomachs. I mean, if you pump in the high... Uh, level of sugar, the preservatives, synthetics, the flavorings, the plant proteins, of course, they're going to vomit. I mean, it's not what they were created to eat. But we have so many pet parents that are spreading the word about uh, how bad their dogs were. I got a phone call yesterday from a couple who um, had 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 their dogs on a raw diet and they hit some financial hard times. So they put their dogs back on kibble in October. And they said to me, we would have never believed it. Had we not seen it ourselves, our dog's personality, our dog's skin, their weight, their hair, everything has changed for the worse since we put them back on Mm -hmm. kibble. Right. So they they were calling because they wanted to get back on raw, but they 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 said it's just horrible. Right. And I think that this is an easy test that parents can do an easy test. Yeah. And if you know, and I've told people if if you think you can't afford raw, well, maybe just try it for a month. Just try it for a month. Just, you know, budget it in for one month and see what you notice in your pet. And I, I think most people would notice such a huge transformation that, you know, there, there'd be no, there'd be no going back. I mean, to me, it's, it's just a no brainer and it's going to save you so much in money and heartache in the long run in not having to treat a chronically ill pet. Um, It's, yeah, it's, I mean, and sometimes it's the only thing people need to do. I mean, I, I, I have some cases where, you know, there's, if their symptoms are not too extreme, I'll say, let's just change the diet and then let's check in in a few weeks and see what's going on. And sometimes that's all people need to do. They don't have to be on a bunch of supplements. I don't, I don't have to sell them a bunch of herbs. I don't, I mean, if, if they have more severe symptoms then we will, cause the pet needs more help, but sometimes if it's just some mild skin stuff and, you know, um, you know, not chronic, but milder symptoms, we just do the diet change. That's all they have to do. And then their go, their vet bills go away. They don't have to spend a bunch of money on supplements. We're just giving the body what it needs and and the pets can heal. So just give it, give it a try. Just just try it from it. Do your own study. Do your own observation. Don't, you know, just don't listen to the to the propaganda. You know, see what the effects are on your own pet. 
Well, think about it, Dr. Jasek. If you don't think there's propaganda going on, if you don't think there's nonsensical sphincter news going on, well, then you've got your head in the sand. Because think about what is happening in the world right now. We're not dealing with the obesity crisis. Nobody even said anything about getting healthy during this quote unquote COVID issue, right? Nobody talked about going outside and getting sunlight. You know, it was stay inside because sunlight is is so amazing for the body as is fresh air, right? No, let's stay locked in our homes. But here's what we've done or the world's done. So we're not going to deal with the obesity crisis because there's too much money in that. What we're going to do is we're going to say, if you say anything about being obese, you are body shaming. You oh. are fat shaming, right? Shame on you. You, you are a terrible scourge on the earth person, right? So what have we seen? It is okay to um, be unhealthy. It is okay to shorten your lifespan. It is okay to have to take insulin. There's a big difference between, you know, saying horrible, mean things to people who are overweight, right? But it is completely another to say you are a model shortening your life, doing right. the things that, you know, I'm, does that make any sense? Right. No, they're, that, they're normalizing it. They're taking something and saying, you know, yeah, this is unhealthy and it keeps people sick, but you know, we're going to normalize it because the more sick people they are, the more money the healthcare industry makes. And, and by the way, I just heard a few days ago that they now have a pill, a drug for childhood obesity. I have no idea what it does in the body, but it just like, you know, don't talk to kids about healthier lifestyle or exercising or feed them better. No, let's just give them a drug, you know, that'll, and that'll fix it. But yeah, I mean, it's like, like you said, I, I agree. It's, it's, it's honoring people and you're helping people. If you say, Hey, you know, this is not healthy. You know, you, you, you are going to have more longevity and more energy and better quality of life. If, you get some weight off and here's some ways to do it. That's, that's not shaming them. I mean, yeah, if you're teasing them or laughing at them or calling them names, then that's different, but you're trying to help people. But, but you know what, Dr. Jasek, it would be asinine and totally irresponsible for me in the raw health food business to utilize fat dogs in my advertising. Right. right. And, and, and maybe somebody wants to say, well, you're, you're, you're biased against, uh, you know, you're, you're, yeah, you're right. Because I believe that leaner dogs live longer. If I'm in the health business, right. And you're in the health business, we're not going to promote fat dogs and say, it's okay. Right. People come to us all the time. My dogs have joint pain. What should I do? Slim them down. Take, right. take the crap out of their diet. I mean, come on. It is not that hard. But we are up against an avalanche, a tidal wave of false narratives that is being 
uh, pushed out there. And then the other side is if you try to tell the truth, then you're a bad person. So I don't, I don't know. We're going to keep telling the truth. We're going to keep searching for the truth. We're going to keep digging. We're going to keep asking questions like what the heck is Parvo? Right? So we really want to get, um, I, you and I've talked about this, some people who are outside of our industry, Amanda Vollmer, uh, Dr. Thomas Cowan, um, Kaufman. If we can get these people to talk about the fallacy of viruses, that's going to upset everything, right? If Then what is it? Is it something that was sprayed on uh, from Monsanto? On, on the on the soil because people talk about that parvo comes you know we have bad parvo in our area well what's in your area what's in your soil what possibly was sprayed there or leached out what was going on that we had to say oh it's parvo we caused it and now we're going to fix it with these other you know medications i don't know it's it's a it's a great question but once you open up that door dr jasic you can't shut it and you have to start asking the question about all of this stuff that doesn't seem to make sense right right i mean I, I listening to some of this stuff about you know hearing no viruses don't exist i mean that 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 rocked my world i mean that that was that was hard to swallow at first but then you know, I, I don't shut down information like that. I, you know, I get curious about it and I want to hear more. And then the more I listen to, you know, people talk about this and, and it, you know, it makes sense. And when, when you think about, well, why would this virus narrative be put out there? Well, that's what the whole vaccine industry is based on all of it in people and pets I mean, billions and billions and billions of dollars are made selling vaccines. And it's all based on the virus narrative. So when you ask, well, that doesn't make sense. Why would this have all been made up? Well, to make a boatload of money selling vaccinations. And you think about it that way, well, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Look how much money they've made by just creating this whole narrative. And again, it's fear. We have to be afraid of these boogeyman viruses that are out there just waiting to attack you and attack your pets. And it even even if you believe that viruses exist, they don't live out in the environment. They're, it's a, it would be more of a direct uh, transmission, which the studies that have come out recently, like they can't really prove transmission of, of viruses. Like to, to do a true study where you'd have a pet that's sick, and then it's going to um, directly infect another pet. You know that's that's being disproven too, and and it's more that there's a common exposure to something, not that they're transmit transmitting it. You know between each other. So I think we really have to look at other possibilities and and look at what's what's really causing these issues in our pets. Because if we just keep vaccinating them, well, I can tell you that's not working. That's just making pets sicker because I connect those dots all the time. I see pets all the time get a, a new diagnosis of cancer or autoimmune disease or itchy skin. 
you know, within a few months of, of a round of vaccines, I see it all the time. And I just don't believe that that's, that that's a coincidence. I think that that has to be real. And I believe vaccines are doing, doing way more harm than good. And it's preventing us from getting to the real root of the problem. What is really making pets sick? Like what is going on? What do we really need to do to keep pets healthy? And I think it's about doing less, not doing more feed, you know, your basic diet with a few ingredients that you can pronounce. If you can't pronounce something on a label, wouldn't feed it to your pet. Or if you don't know what it is, don't feed it to your pet. I think I think anymore, we need to get out of the way of health. health and healing occurs naturally. And I think modern medicine just puts up roadblocks to that natural process. So if we feed pets correctly and we stop poisoning their bodies with vaccines and pharmaceuticals and take a look at environmental toxins, the herbicides, the pesticides, the EMF, all these things that could be poisoning the body. I think really health is about doing less, not more. Just let the body knows what to do. We just need to quit poisoning it. Yeah. I mean, doesn't that make more sense, right? Because something is happening to cause um, issues in 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 people, right? What the cancer's up in people, cancer's up in dogs. Uh, and these are people that... Um, you know, we would have to see what they put in their body, right? And I would say that, uh, I don't know, Dr. Jasek, I, I certainly do hear right now, and I think you do too, more and more people dying, right? Heart yeah. attacks, um, this sudden death, sudden adult death, I mean, doesn't make any sense, which makes me go back to the SIDS thing in the babies, right? Sudden infant death. What the heck? What was just injected into their body, right? What is happening? Um, and I think that we have to look at the research and, and, and again, you're going to have to dig. You're going to have to dig for past research. I think the research today is so convoluted, like what Dr. Brady was talking about. And God bless these people that dig this far, <laughs> right? That yeah. like, like he has and documents all this stuff. Now in his book, he, he, he falls short of really coming out as hard against, you know, some of the, the vaccines that like you and I do. But again, you know, what's the, where's he coming from? Uh, there's a lot of people that don't want to touch that issue, right? They just don't want to touch that issue. But, um, but I want to ask you this question. So some clinics, and I've asked this question because, you know, our daughter's a vet. So I asked this question, why, why, why would you mandate that someone have a rabies vaccine, the dog, before they come in. And the answer that I've gotten is, well, is, is this, because we don't, if we get bit, uh, we, you know, the dog can have rabies. We wouldn't know they have rabies. And then we get bit and then we get rabies. What, what would you say about that? Well, I would say that most, most likely 
that if a dog was shedding the rabies virus at, at the time they were in, that it would most likely be symptomatic. Um, if this rabies virus, I, I don't even, I question that even like rabies is even a thing anymore because who sees rabies cases anymore? N- nobody sees it. And you know, there's unvaccinated dogs out there. So if it was really this rabies virus just out there waiting to attack pets, we, we would be seeing it and we, we don't, we, we don't see it. But if we know that rabies goes to the brain and the way it's supposedly transmitted is going down the nerves into the salivary glands and into the saliva, that pet is most likely going to have to be showing some symptoms at the time that, that they're in the clinic. And, you know, it's, it's standard practice. You, 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 you have, I mean, getting bit in a, in a veterinary clinic, that's, that's an occupational hazard. I mean, that's something you're always watching out for. Pets are scared. They might be sick. They might be injured. You know, they're not feeling good and you're doing things they don't like. You're poking and prodding and putting thermometers up their butts and, and maybe giving them injections. And, you know, a bite is a way of a pet warning you, warning you like, Hey, I don't like that. So we, we have to be careful. So if that's an end, if, and I've had clients actually tell me this, if that is their biggest concern and you have a client come in the door that just doesn't want to vaccinate, put a muzzle on the dog. I've had clients mm-hmm. tell me that they're welcome to muzzle my dog for the entire visit rather than me having to get a vaccine. They're, they're worried about it. They're welcome to muzzle my dog. So why don't they just muzzle them? They don't have a vaccine. Okay. They need to put a muzzle on the dog. Why isn't that good enough? If the whole issue is the bite and part of our training and part of what we learn and working with all these animals is how to prevent bites. You learn how to read animals. And if they're exceptionally scared or look like they might be a little bit more aggressive, we put a muzzle on them. You know, there's ways of restraining. There's ways of restraining cats that, you know, can, can keep you safe in, in a clinic. So we're, we're, we're trained to, to do that. So why not just do that? Why not put up some extra parameters to prevent a bite if that's the big concern? It's just another one of those angles on this that, that doesn't make any sense. And why did this just come up in the last three years? Hmm. You know, like this wasn't a thing three years ago. This was not a thing pre-COVID that pets could not get into a clinic without a current rabies shots. I mean, some clinics might be, might've been a little more stringent on requiring vaccines. It was not to this level. So what's changed? Rabies hasn't changed. Is there more rabies out there? Are there new laws? Nope, just the narrative. So like who, who decided that? You know, it just, it, it doesn't make any sense. And again, when things don't make sense, follow the money. Yeah. You've got to follow the money. And I, I would encourage people to uh, read that article um, at Dogs Naturally um, from Dr. Fruden. Okay. The name of the article is The Big Scam, Rabies Vaccination. Also in there, um, there is a link where it says rabies vaccine. 
Um, so you want to click on the links so that you can read. There's a lot of information in here um, that talks about this. You get all the risk and no benefit. And um, it's just a lack of understanding and a lack of information. This information is out there. And I get it that this makes people uncomfortable. It makes them uncomfortable on the human side. It makes them uncomfortable on the pet side. But if your dog comes down with the big itchies, okay, or a neurological personality change, do you want to deal with that? Because that, I I know many people that are dealing with that right now in their dog. And if you have a dog like a German Shepherd or a Rottweiler, um, these big dogs, right, that all of a sudden become aggressive, Dr. Jasek, you've got a total liability on your hand. And and how unfortunate is that, that you have this gorgeous, wonderfully disciplined, uh, beautiful dog, and all of a sudden, after an accumulation of several vaccines or even one vaccine, that dog's personality changes. That that's not going to be fun to deal with. At no, all. and it's and it's it's tragic. I mean, I've I've seen this. You know, sometimes the dogs like they just become untrainable, unresponsive to their uh, to their pet parent. Or just overtly aggressive, where now they've got to worry about them biting. Their behavior all of a sudden becomes unpredictable, and they're literally just not the same. Not the same dog, and it's it's really tragic. And I think this vaccine injuries. I expect this to just get so much worse because they're now coming out with newer and newer versions of vaccines, like mRNA rabies. Like, what could go wrong there? You know, we're, we're seeing, you know, the effects of the COVID shot on so many humans. And now we're going to start integrating that same technology into our pets. Um, and I, I'm sure they're not testing this. They're, they've not done, you know, appropriate research. They're, they're just pushing it out because they have the technology. And I don't know what the bigger agenda is here, um, but it, it does, it really frightens me for our pets that they are coming out with new vaccine technology. And, and I would say if, if you just were in a bind and you just had to get a rabies shot because you have to prove it for some reason or another, at least, you know, don't use one of these new ones. Ask, you know, if, if your vet has some of the old stuff around because I would not use this new technology. We have no idea what the effects are going to be on our pets, but I'm... I'm willing to bet that it's it's going to be bad. And I think this whole issue of vaccine injury is going to get way, way worse in our pets. So we have to do less of them if, if you want your pets to be healthy. Well, look, they, they you know, Zoetis is a part of Pfizer, right? Yeah. And Zoetis is that name that is used in the, in the pet world. Um, it ha- no doubt about it that the NIH, have been doing uh, just the NIH and God knows uh, what else they've been doing. But, you know, uh, I was reading this where these documents were obtained by White Coat Waste. Okay, it's called WCW. And it exposed how the NIH used $2.3 million of our money, taxpayers' money, to turn beagle puppies into cocaine addicts. (sighs) 
so that they could test an experimental treatment drug for cocaine addiction. And uh, this article for anybody who loves dogs is is going to really turn your stomach. Um, so they they would put these uh, devices in them so that they would um, dose for several months with these narcotics and um, yeah, to study the interaction of two different drugs. And uh, they had these injection jackets. Okay, they they put these jackets on them. They were injection jackets. They drugged the dogs. They were surgically implanted with um, these type of monitoring units to monitor their biological signals throughout the entire experiment. Um, it, it ran for a year. <laughs> it, it's just it's sick, and um, what they do to these beagles and in this. In the study, they said, why, why do they use beagles? Uh, by the way, over 70,000 dogs a year are used in laboratory experiments. Um, but they said uh, beagles are often used because they're docile, they're sweet, they're trusting, and they don't fight back. Yeah. That sounds like some people, right? Don't yeah. fight back. We we know we can use you as an experiment. And um, yeah, he said these these um these puppies basically their lives are miserable from the time they're born until they're killed and uh they're taken from their mothers and they're subject uh subject subjected to horrific cruelty painful test torture and then finally when the experiment's over they are killed yeah yeah that's that's it that stuff just just makes me sick i mean when did it become okay to you know, experiment like that on animals. And I, I don't, you know, I think if people can justify that, like it's not a very far stretch to justify experimenting on humans too, because if you just have no respect for life, which how, how can you have respect for life if you can do um, experiments like that on, on these poor innocent animals, then, you know, why not just do it on people? And that's, I think what they're doing in, in our medical profession and all the things that they're, that they're um, putting out and recommending for people these days, it's a big science experiment. And they just, people are just, you know, in the experiment unknowingly, you know, they're, they're using newer and newer technologies. And I don't think they know all of the effects they're, they're finding out as they go and they're looking to see what happens in people. It is like a big science experiment going on now. And it's, and it's horrific because people are suffering and our pets are suffering and are going to, I think, start to, you know, suffer, suffer more. I think the the food industry is just going to get worse and worse and worse. I think these, you know, kibble diets and these commercial pet foods are going to get more and more toxic and the vaccines are going to get more toxic and, boy, you just, you got to start advocating for your pets. If you guys want to learn more about what you can do, uh, you can uh, contact your Congress and tell them you want the NIH to stop funding the cocaine experiments on these puppies. Uh, you can go to YouTube. It's called Coke Hounds, 
C-O-K-E Hounds. Um, the group that is on YouTube that's putting this out again is called White Coat Waste. White Coat Waste, all one word. And the name of the video uh, is going to be Coke Hounds. Not pretty, Dr. Jacy. Yeah. Not pretty at all. But that's what we're here to do. We're here to, um, you know, help people to think. And our job is to help you keep your pet as safe and as healthy as possible. Uh, you have Dr. Judy Jasic available to you. As I say, your first step in the health of your dog is to get a second opinion. So where do you do that? You go to a havet.com, ahavet.com, where you can work with Dr. Jasic via Zoom uh, and teleconferencing. And she's going to give you a second opinion uh, on an outside of the box second opinion. Okay. And that's what you want. You want somebody who's thinking differently than the traditional way, whether your dog has the itchies, whether you're contemplating vaccines, whether your dog has cancer, these are issues and topics and discussions you want to have with Dr. Judy Jasek, ahavet.com. Get your dog on a species appropriate diet. Uh, as you've heard in our past podcast, they are actually and literally adding more trash to your kibble food. Get your dog on a species pure raw diet. Now we don't add anything to the food. It is just the animal meat, bone, organ, and fat. Okay. Get over to rawdogfoodandco.com where your pet's health is our business and we're friends. Don't let friends feed kibble. We'll see you next week, everybody. Bye-bye. Oh, snap. Find out how you can start your dog on the road to health and longevity. Go to rawdogfoodandcompany.com, where friends don't let friends feed kibble and where your pet's health is our business. Just snap.